Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I'm joined by Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy today. We've had a change of plans, a change of the schedule, as uh, you know, rain was rampant in the Auburn area yesterday, so we now have a full sports call today. No Borgard High School baseball. That will be tomorrow. So Tom Peavy is in the studio. He is giving me a wry smile right now, <laughs> and we will give away the fact that if you noticed when I closed the show yesterday, I said, Tom, we'll see you on Wednesday, right. and now he is here on this Tuesday. It's because we do plan on having Tom Peavy make a debut on our Beauregard High School baseball broadcast now. will be tomorrow. Brooks will be out there. Tim Sin will be out there. We look forward to that. However, that game, due to field conditions, was canceled uh, today, so we will have that game for you tomorrow at about 4.24.30, so we will have a short sports call tomorrow, but now we have a full show today, so we have a lot to talk to you about. Justin Ferguson will be on at 4.30. We'll continue to talk about the Auburn basketball roster and the latest announcements uh, in the portal uh, as uh, it is getting going. There are even uh, more high-profile names by the day. We'll tell you about those. We'll also give you more of a rundown on spring football. If we have time today, uh, we will power rank the position groups, uh, the seven position groups uh, for Auburn. We'll kind of give you what it's uh, kind of turning out as uh, in the development process for Coach Hugh Freeze and Auburn this spring and we'll kind of give our rankings of where those position groups stand. And then also want to get to uh, some baseball stuff today. Uh, the numbers are now technically a day old, but Jeff Passan kind of broke everything down yesterday about how the first few days of the Major League season compare now that we are in this pitch clock era and just some of the statistics compared to last year. We'll go over those and see uh, what the guys think, if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing. So a lot to do today. Also, if we have time, still want to try and fit in a best and worst of last weekend. Did not get to do that in the show yesterday. I had like a 90-second rant that not many people will care too much about because it involves the NBA, but uh, for my best and worst of the weekend. So want to get those in if we have time. At the end of the show, of course, all of your phone calls on the Auburn Make phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. And then birthdays and sports and nightly TV guide, as always, on the show today. All right, Ryan, Tom, and Brooks with you here this afternoon. We'll start with you, Tom. Yeah. How are you doing, sir? I, I'm doing great. Yeah, a little bit of a change of uh, scenery of what I thought was going to happen today. And uh, yeah, I was looking forward to looking forward to getting on a baseball broadcast, doing a little color commentary for the first time. Uh, you know, I guess uh, give we my patience, my ba- patience, patience, young Padawan. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
throw my baseball expertise out there, I guess. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that tomorrow. But uh, glad to be here on the show. Uh, as usual, a lot to discuss, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, at a kind of an important college basketball game last night that we'll discuss. And stuff going on with Auburn, stuff going on all over the place. Uh, I was even just sitting here watching Major League Fishing as we went on the air as they finished off on uh, Lake Murray up in South Carolina. Uh, so yeah, I do that. I watch Major League Fishing on Why my not? phone. I, I am that guy. Well, whatever floats your boat. Trying to get, I, I'm. I have reached out. We had a back a year or so ago. We had a, an angler on here. One of the guys that went to Auburn that is currently fishing in the uh, uh, Bassmaster uh, sector of bass fishing, doing a lot of qualifying tournaments and things like that. And we had him on the show. And uh, I've been trying to reach out to some of these uh, MLF guys that are from the area. There's there's one really popular guy that uh, lives over in Tuskegee, a guy named Mark Daniels Jr. And I've tried to see if I could get Mark Daniels on here sometime with us, uh, talk some bass fishing. We'll see what happens. But yeah, if, if I that am that does, guy. If that does happen, I'll just have you host that segment because I know absolutely nothing. Uh, well, I mean, I pretty much took over the one that we had with the guy uh, a year ago. Right. Um, and man, his name is is escaping me right now, and I feel so bad because I've got his number in my phone, <laughs> so we could go fishing sometime. And I'm just I I'm absolutely drawn a blank. But no, I'll, yeah, if we get, we get a we get an angler on here, I'll I'll, I'll run with. Why it. not? I'm okay with that. Why not? Brooks Childers is also yeah. on the show today. He was also going to be on that Borgard High School broadcast, so now you'll hear him do that tomorrow. But uh, good to have you on the show. I was going to say, Tom, to make up for it, I can do ballpark noises into the microphone while you're talking. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I was gonna say that. Well, yeah, I guess they don't have the. Uh, Let's go! Come on. Yeah, they've got ballpark. Ball four. They have ballpark noises, but it's the up, parents. Up. It's the parents up, that are up. making the noises. Come yeah. on, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Swing. Here we go, Billy. Here we go, Billy. Billy boy. Oh man. <laughs> Fish him off, kid. <laughs> Good eye. Good where, eye. Where was that, Blue? Good eye. Come on, Blue. Good eye. That's been there all day. <laughs> Brooks, I hope yeah. you're doing well. I am doing That's well. That's crap. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't called anything for my kid. <laughs> um, I'm doing great. Uh, this had a good weekend. Spent uh, all of Saturday moving uh, my fiance into what is going to be our collective apartment. Uh, so that was uh, that was. I, I could say it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't. Um, getting a dryer, a washer dryer up downstairs and then back into a U-Haul and then back upstairs and hooking. Uh, it's just not moving's not fun. I don't recommend it for anybody. Uh, so honestly, I was kind of looking forward to coming to work on, on Monday to get, you know, to be able to stop moving for a little bit because it's just a collective. It's, a, it's an ongoing process, really. And so did that over the weekend. Uh, big Final Four games this weekend. Caught a little bit of those in the background of, uh, of moving. And s- then big national championship game last night. And we'll, we'll get to talk about that. Braves had a successful opening weekend and continue to have a successful opening road trip as they took two out of three from the Nationals uh, this past weekend. And then they took game one against the Cardinals last night. You got Dylan Dodd making his Major League debut tonight. And so I'm sure we'll talk some Braves baseball as they continue with their uh, season opening road trip and before they hit back to uh do they come back to turner field this weekend or are they out west against the padres uh, i don't see them going to turner field anytime soon but uh truest park they'll they'll arrive i'm sorry i soon. forgot we were in 2012 i know i'm sorry being a 
bit of a tool right there. But uh, Atlanta's first, uh, you, so their first couple home series, uh, they do have the Padres this okay. weekend, four games set at Truist Park. And then they've got three with the Reds before they go out to Kansas City. So they got seven at home starting on Thursday. Excellent. So they continue to wrap up that. Uh, they continue to run run through that season opening road trip. So can't wait to talk about all that. Can't wait to talk to all of our callers. And uh, yeah, it's it's getting down to the end of spring football too. Can't wait. Uh, get get to the off season there. One one thing I say whenever the Braves do have their their home opener, you can be guaranteed that they will not do something as. Utterly ridiculous is what the Milwaukee Brewers did yesterday. I saw they won ten nothing. What was ridiculous about it? Well, we talked about it as we were as I was leaving the studio. The flyover. They had a oh yeah yeah. They had a flyover on the field. They had a flyover of a B one bomber and fireworks and all going off, and they had their roof closed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why? What's that rumble? What is the point of that? To have a beautiful flyover of a majestic fighter aircraft like that and fireworks. You have your roof closed. That, that was my favorite. You wow! Have, you had pictures Idiots. of like the board, the video board saying today's flyover. Today's flyover. And the like, roof is closed. Like what? What are you doing? Oh man! I saw a video on that. It's like the Brewers had a great fly, and it showed. It was like a video outside the, yeah, of the, of the jet going over. You're like, man, that was cool. That's and majestic. then it goes, flips to inside. Well, the roof's closed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that that belonged on a not top ten. I uh, hope that gets on the not top ten. We, I, everyone has this, but us. It feels like we need to have like a uh, some sort of a not top segment, or uh, you know, like we we always do a uh, best and worst segment Monday. And JJ used to read those weird headlines, which was basically just like insert Florida man here. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever w- listened right. to the Dana show over on uh, on ninety three nine, the Florida man stuff, uh-huh. yeah. But uh, we need to have our own with sports fails or, or something oh, segment. Well, that would definitely be one. I, I don't I, I don't know what yeah, I don't the know. folks here in Milwaukee were thinking with that. That, that was – wow. I've seen some dumb things. That's, were that's the fireworks dumb. also out, up above when the – or were they actually still inside? When the, the fireworks were inside, but the thing is you could barely see them. So it, that was the thing. They looked like giant sparklers because uh-huh. it's in a dome, and so they're – it's just a lot of smoke and sparklers and the roar of a jet going overhead with a roof closed. <laughs> I don't understand that. That's tremendous. All. Uh, so I, I also left out when I introduced the show and, and told everyone what we we're going to talk about today. Uh, I do that. Try I try to do that as an outline so you kind of know what to expect. But if you actually listen to all these shows, sometimes it goes off the rails. Sometimes we have a lot of callers, which we always encourage. Sometimes we don't get to everything. Uh, and so it's just it's a rough draft. It's not the final uh, written essay that you turn into the teacher. Uh, and, and so we, we try and give you an outline. But one of the, the obvious things, which is the thing I wanted to start with today that I failed to mention, was that we need to talk about the title game last night, which is uh, kind of important. We led up to that all March long uh, between UConn and San Diego State. And look, it won't take too long to talk about this title game because there was not a whole lot to break down from it. Uh, it was another decisive UConn victory. They defeat San Diego State 76-59. to The Aztecs did close the margin a couple of times in the second half. They at least made it competitive, yeah. uh, but then UConn answered the bell rather quickly. I don't know if you guys watched it in its entirety last night, but what were your takeaways? What did you think about the game? So, uh, no, I did not watch the entirety. I, I was trying to take a little bit of a nap i had to go to work uh late last night so i was getting a bit of a nap in but uh when i got to work 
the game was on, I think it was about nine minutes or so to go, and San Diego State was on a run, and I saw the score. I'm like, oh, wow. This is a lot closer than I had anticipated. And uh, and San Diego State just kept getting on the run, and you could see their crowd and like every time. And I mean, there's just explosions of their crowd. And it was like UConn was missing easy shots, and San Diego State was getting steals and easy layups, and their crowd was just going nuts. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is happening. No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, yep, spoke too soon, thought too soon. Because, yeah, it's like, um, it, it, it almost felt like UConn was like a, 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 a cat playing with a, an animal that they're getting ready to dispatch, but they just kind of fool around with it and swat it around a little bit and just kind of play with it and make it think it's got some survivability left. And then they just bite him in the neck and just done. And that's kind of what UConn did. It just like kind of let them hang around, hang around. And then all of a sudden they just put their foot in their, on their throat and they were done. And I mean, shoot, you had a minute left in that game and UConn was already celebrating. So that's how that's how quickly it got it went away. About eight minutes to go, you're sitting there thinking, "Oh my gosh, we we got a game going here." With a minute left, UConn was already in celebration mode. So yeah, they they didn't let it last very long. Brooks, what did you what did you think? I mean, you you saw out of the gate, San Diego State held their own to start with, and then I think the one of the biggest factors of that game came. Uh, you know, midway through the the first half is I, I think it was what they went ten minutes without a field made 11. field goal, eleven yeah. minutes without a made field goal, and I think that was really you know they played fine defense. They were they were they were played fine defense in the first half, but ten ten to eleven minutes without a a, a made field goal, uh, you can't do that. You can't have that, uh, and especially in a national title game, especially with a, a a especially if you're a team like San Diego State who we talked about on the show. You've talked about it several times, Ryan. They're not the best offensive team in the country and if you know if you go on a scoring drought like that that doesn't help your your cases of winning especially when you've got two guys on the other side of things with um uh tristan newton who i think had 19 points last night for uconn and sonogo had 17 points you got those those two guys uh scoring wise that are just they they can you know they can help bury you in in a quick in a quick minute and that's what UConn did. They 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 started to you know they took advantage of that scoring drop. They built a lead. Uh, I know they they talked to um, Hurley, the head coach. Is it Dan Hurley? Dan Hurley, yeah. Uh, Dan Hurley at the at the half, and he said we should be up by twenty at that point. And they they were up, I think, by sixteen at the half. Twelve. They got up to thirty six twenty, but they were up twelve at the half. Yeah. Twelve at the half, and then so you know he talked about being wanting to. Uh, they should have been up by twenty, and then like Tom said, the second half, San Diego State made runs. But it felt like it was oh we're making this run making this run and then UConn would hit a shot and be like all right now we're you know now we're back into this thing and yeah with like a minute to go minute and a half to go they were already in celebration mode Hurley was uh was you know hugging the players as they'd come off the court and you know celebrating looking back at his family waving his arms throwing confetti in the air at the very end so congratulations to UConn uh they they were able to you know run through the tournament they're a team that a lot of people said was a dark horse coming into the tournament I know Ryan you had them in the national title game uh in your bracket and so you didn't think of them as a as a dark horse you thought of them as a as a favorite to as get a horse there. yeah big old horse as a Clydesdale <laughs> um but yeah and San Diego State I, I think that they'll they can get back they gotta they gotta add some offensive pieces that or the, some offensive scoring if they want to get back to that that national title spot. I don't think they're done uh, in with some deep runs in the tournament here over the next couple of years. But 
man, UConn, now they're up in the echelons of the Duke and Indiana with five national titles, only behind, what, North Carolina, Kentucky, and UCLA. Those are the top three, and tough to catch UCLA on on that uh, that national title record. uh, number but, list yeah. you know it it's there now the now the debate goes into is uconn a, a true blue blood now because a lot of people you know there are some people that had them in the in the blue blood college basketball category some people didn't and i, I think that debate's probably going to start firing back up here but fun national title game fun fun one for uh, jim nance to go out on and his last national title game calling for cbs and now he gets to uh turn right around and go to augusta national no. think about that turner i know we talk about it every single year but Think about that turnaround. You go from calling the national title game in basketball to right right to Augusta National and get ready to call the Masters this weekend. So it it was a fun game. Uh, it was a fun game, and I, I can't I I don't think there was another game that could have happened that would have you know settled this college basketball season other than that one. That was fun. Here's the thing that I'm going to say in my other final takeaway from the game. I don't understand this. I and I commented this i actually i think i commented on one of bar barstool's uh tweets there's a video in stores connecticut after the game of their fans just destroying stuff and it's like they had ripped it looked like a light pole like a big metal light pole they had ripped out of the ground and was using it as a battering ram to bust out the glass in these glass doors i don't know what the hell they were trying to get into or trying to do but i was sitting there and my response to it is why like why why do you destroy stuff in celebration? And of course, Their I was inner like, husky I was like, came out. I guess so. But I, I, I was like, I come from a school where we just throw toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, Who is it that burns the couches? West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia, the couch burners. I is think it? Kentucky does too, but West Virginia is mainly known as the couch burning. But I, I don't understand. It's like, yay, we're happy for our team. Let's rip a lamppost out of the <laughs> out of the ground and bash windows in. Yay, go Huskies. Know, <laughs> it makes no sense to me that people do that. I, I just I don't get it. Like I said, we gather the corner and throw toilet paper in trees. I, I The national championship game, I was downtown. There was nobody burning anything. There's nobody flipping cars over. There's nobody running around bashing out windows and storefronts and everything. We threw toilet paper and raised hell at the corner. That was it. Why do you right. got, why do you have to destroy property when you win some? It's, it makes no sense to me at all. But I guess at our core, humans like destruction. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. Man, that is ridiculous. Uh, a couple things to hit on here: uh, San Diego State's closest, uh, I guess, margin where they trailed in the second half. They trailed sixty to fifty-five. With about five and a half minutes left, that's as close as they cut it. UConn then went down and hit a three. They went both went scoreless for a minute or two, and then UConn uh, put it on them to end it. Uh, it. It never felt to me like SDSU was going to win the game, but when it did get to 60-55, I was starting to get a whiff of a, of a last-minute game, uh, and then that whiff uh, quickly faded, and uh, UConn uh, pulled away there. But... Uh, that underscored what my concern was in San Diego State being the competition for UConn is, look, I, I think UConn was beating both them and Ford Atlantic and, and anyone else in this tournament. I think everyone could feel pretty good about that, the way UConn 
uh, drubbed just about everybody. But I did feel that Florida Atlantic would have the better chance because they were the better offensive team. And it just felt like San Diego State was just kind of piecing together magical offense, that they were not – they hadn't actually found something offensively. They were just getting the right moment, the right doses of it in the right moment, whether it was the second half against Alabama, whether it was drawing a foul, which was controversial – at the end of the Creighton game, making a last-second shot against Florida Atlantic after getting, you know, earlier in the second half after getting a million offensive rebounds. And to me, it didn't feel um, as real as it needed to be to beat someone as good as UConn. Now, look, at the end of the day, we we do this big special tournament, and it's awesome, but it doesn't change, you know, that that someone like San Diego State would not be revered as the second-best team in the country this year. Uh, although they did make the title game. But it's still uh, just, I thought, overall, a a great tournament. You had the massive upsets you look for. At the end of the day, while UConn was not the best team from start to finish, something that is relevant in in grading where UConn actually ranked this year is that they never lost outside of the Big East. It did not happen. As a matter of fact, I believe if I heard Jay Billis correctly last night, they did not lose or did not win by anything other than double digits outside of their conference. For whatever reason, teams that were used to them in the Big East were able to adjust and beat them several times, finishing fourth in that conference. But outside the Big East, they did not lose and they and they only won by double digits. So when you take that into account, they really were uh, one of the best teams in the sport this year. It's just got a little murky in Big East play, uh, which tend to, tends to happen. And of course, they had this dominant tournament run. And then the last point I want to make, and again, this goes back to my long-driven spiel about offense mattering just a little bit more uh, than defense, is uh, Ken Palm, who a lot of people love. Uh, look at the Ken Palm numbers for efficiency and all that. Uh, tweeted this last night. UConn finishes with a better offensive rating than defensive rating relative to the national average. This is the eighth season in a row and 22nd time in the last 26 years the champion has been better offensively than defensively. So there you go. The the metrics say that the, the last eight national champions have been better offensive teams than defensive and 22 of the last 26. And look, you all could could figure that out if you watch these teams, whether you're watching uh, that uh, Baylor team that scored a million points on Gonzaga in the title game with all that great guard play, where you, whether you're watching some of Jay Wright's Villanova teams with, with two, three future pros on each of those teams, the likes of Mikkel Bridges and Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archie Diacono and and uh, Dante DiVincenzo and all that. Uh, and, and then uh, the North Carolina team that won. I mean, just you could go down the line here. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. Duke teams that usually win in, in the last uh, 26 years here. So um, it, it did not surprise me that uh, another good offensive team won and that the good offensive team won on this stage. Uh, although UConn was clearly – good on both sides of the ball because of their physicality and their ability to rebound. And uh, they they were complete uh, in how they played in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Where do you guys, Brooks, uh, we'll we'll close with this in this segment. Brooks, you brought up the the Blue Blood 
uh, debate. Do you guys have opinions on where UConn now stands? Because their history is pretty – it's pretty fascinating. It's pretty odd. Right. I um, I, when I, Whenever I think – if somebody were to just ask me, name the Blue Bloods in basketball, UConn is not one that I'm going to mention. Um, have they had a lot of success? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but their history is – Really good, but it's a lot more recent. Uh, even I mean, they they've had that downswing, and now they just won a title. But everything is is very fresh and recent in the long in the in kind of the long terms of things. You know, when you think about blue bloods, I'm thinking UCLA of their dominance is back in the day. Kentucky has been dominant way back when. UNC has been dominant since way back when. Duke has been dominant since way back when. Um, yes, UConn has had, definitely had the success, and they've got the titles to show for it. But I don't know; they just they they just don't they don't feel like the first they they don't pop into my head when I think of a blue blood. I think of them as a very good program, one of the I, best I, of the next tier. Sure, one of the, uh, maybe the best of the next tier. But I just I don't I I I, I feel like I can't put them on that Mount Rushmore of basketball programs like. A Kentucky Duke, UNC, Kansas, um, UCLA, and I'm putting UCLA on there. And I mean, when was UCLA's been relatively good of late? But you know, UCLA has not just been destroying records and winning title after title over the last few years. But but their history shows right. shows that they are a blue blood. And so that's just kind of where I'm at with UConn. A, a very good program and. You know, one of the best, if not the best, of that next tier down from the quote unquote blue bloods. I think Auburn's a blue blood. Yeah, they oh, are. No. Heck yeah, they are. <laughs> oh, um, no. I'm I'm more I think I'm more likely to count them in the blue blood category. But the only thing that is that is hanging it up for me is like what Tom said. All of their success is more recent. It, they they didn't reach a final four till 1999. And then, you know, they've been to, what, six Final Fours since then. They, the first one was 1999. They've been to six Final Fours, five national titles since then. Um, I, I want to put them I – I, I want to put them in the Blue Blood category because, they've, you know, they've, they've tied Duke and Indiana, who are two teams that you would think, are, uh, think of as, as, uh, as uh, Blue Bloods. They're only behind North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, who you think of as, as basketball Blue Bloods and national titles. I, I'm going to interrupt. I, I put Indiana in that same group with them. You wouldn't say them as a blue blood? Not, not I, I, they're one of those that it, I, I think is close. But, I mean, they, they haven't really done anything to speak of lately, have they? I mean, that, that I can remember. I mean, they've, they've got Bob Knight. I think, they, they've got the memories of Bob Knight. I'm going to say, I think Ryan said off air a couple of days ago that their best coach in recent memory is Tom Crean. There you go. <laughs> and that's the, not great. That's not no. a great, uh, great thing to hang your hat on. And, at the end and, of the and, day. and what one one memorable moment with Tom Crean where they yeah. hit the that buzzer beater that the that their place went nuts. But I mean, they 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 had some they had some good success under Bob Knight. I don't know what their history is before Bob Knight. Yeah. I mean, it was there. I mean, they had some stuff. Uh, yeah. They won a tournament in '53 and '42. Their titles were pre. Right. He was in the seventies and eighties, correct? Yeah. So yeah, it was. Uh, I, I still, I don't know. I, 
Oh, man, I just, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, it, it, I don't want to say I feel dirty putting in there. It's, that's not what it is. It, just, but it doesn't feel right. There's something about that that doesn't feel. I just, I don't feel like Indiana is still in that same basketball pantheon of Duke, UNC, Kansas, UCLA, Kentucky. They, that still again feels like maybe a step down from from those programs. I think. If if I've I like I said I really want to put UConn in the blue blood category because they're they're not in the in the terms of Final Fours and national titles they're up they're starting they're they're up there in national titles with the the big blue bloods um, and they're getting there with Final Fours I think for me to definitively put them in I think they need either another national title with Dan Hurley or after Hurley is done, whoever their next coach is can come in and keep them this relevant. Because you've had three straight coaches now, Calhoun, Kevin Ollie, and Dan Hurley, who have all won national titles at uh, at UConn. And they've all, you know, obviously all been since uh, since the late 90s. I think if another coach comes in and continues that winning streak and keeps them relevant, maybe not win a national title, but keeps them like going in contention for Final Fours and for in contention for national relevance, I think then you can officially put UConn in the blue blood. I think they're right there. I think if there's like a gray area between that next four and the uh, and the blue blood or the, not next four, but like the next group and the blue bloods, I think UConn is like seeped their way up and is sitting right there. And it, they they're like Snipping. touching they're touching the surface of the water. That if you go through the surface, you're into the blue blood uh, pantheon. But I I think they're they're so close. your heart tells you yes, yes. but your brain says yes, no. That's right. I, look, I I think that w- what each the, the thing is is that the definition of a blue blood is not. Uh, necessarily the same, quite the same for everybody. Everyone might have a little bit different uh, opinion on everything that goes into it or, or how much longevity is required because I think longevity is what trips UConn up. Um, they now, with some of the big factors like titles, are right up there with anybody, as we just talked about with the five. But some of the oddities to them is they had only been to one Elite Eight prior to 1990. So their program was a tournament team. They, they made plenty of tournaments before 90. I think they made about 10 or 12. But they were not a national factor until 1990, uh, which is what started to put them on the map. The fascinating thing about them is it is very odd to be five for six in winning titles when going to the Final Four. Like six Final Fours is not – it's a good number, but it's not an elite number. There's plenty of programs that have been to mid-single-digit Final Fours. Uh, it's just that UConn has taken full advantage and won those titles outright when they've gotten there. The only time they did not was 2009. North Carolina won that year. So they, to me, they have all the stuff. We keep using analogies of surface area and all this. On the surface, they have some things that line up with Blue Bloods. But you dig deeper and you say, okay, they don't have much of a history pre-1990. And even in this time, what's been weird is they've I think they've missed five tournaments and been out on the first weekend eight times. So uh, in, in the last 25 years. So half since they won the title in 99 for the first time, 
still half the years of those 25 years, 24 years, they didn't end up going to the second weekend of the tournament. And so they had some really rough teams even in the last 25. And look, it's starting to become a little bit more common. Uh, But, you know, as great as his last 25 is, it's not been a consecutive 25 years. Like, oh, their down year was round of 32. No, their down years, they missed the tournament five times. Um, So I I still think they are best of the rest. Um, I, I think that there's still a clear gap between uh, UCLA, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, and Kansas. Now, Indiana is right there with UConn. Yeah. And I feel a little better if you were to call them a blue blood because their success stretches over a longer period of time. Now, while they are not been as good the last 10 to 15 years, okay, remember they were runner-up in 02, so that's this century at least. They right. went to a title game. Uh, their championships were 40, 53, 76, 81, and 1987. All right, so that was a clear foundational point where until uh, I mean look if you probably went history through 1987 their last title they were probably above Carolina uh, certainly above Duke and then maybe even above Kansas at that point I mean at that point in time they were probably only behind UCLA as second all time in basketball but, so here's a, but here's a question can you lose blue blood status I think you can and the reason is is I I would still if I forced to, I would lean towards Indiana's not. Right. Because I've got a prime example. Um, and so to finish the thought here, the other thing is it's very tough with UCLA because they are 11 titles. That is, you, you have to be blue blood, but like one day could they lose blue blood status? If they keep doing this where they're, they're not, uh, building many good teams. I mean, they had a couple really bad coaches b- before Mick Cronin got there, uh, and UCLA's not had much success the last 20 years. And they've not won a title, I don't think, since... Uh, a- am I wrong that they've not won since Wooden, or, or d- did they win one here? I'm going to double fact-check myself. Well, while you fact-check, the, uh, the one that I use as an example is, a, is a fo- the football analogy of Nebraska. Like right now, I would not consider Nebraska a blue blood, but I think they lost blue blood status because of their just massive struggles over the last what fifteen years. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah, 20, UCLA 15, last one in ninety five, so they did 95. win. They did win one after that. Um, but but I mean, if you were but if you were to go back to the uh, especially seventies and eighties Nebraskas, and then into their early nineties, I mean, they were they absolutely one hundred percent a blue blood. But now you don't consider them a blue Fair. blood, but you would have back then. So I think Indiana is in the process of teetering. Right is I guess the moral of that story. Now UCLA is still fine. That that was not about to be a commentary that hot take. UCLA is not a blue blood. They still are eleven titles, all the tournament appearances. Sure. They did go to a title game in 06. So I mean, it's not it's better than Indiana right. in that regard. Sure. Uh, I was gonna, uh, on on the other side of that, or speaking of you know losing blue blood status, the more national titles you have, does that l- long like that is that gives you more protection gives you more protection term. so yeah. like say i'm a program i've won you know seven national titles but i haven't won one since 1980 something am i in the it, it, well, it depends on if you're competitive if you're right there competitive with it but see that's the thing is nebraska has not been anywhere even sure. remotely competitive towards yeah. anything yeah since back when tommy frazier was playing for them and they demolished florida 
they they've been nothing. I mean, they I, I dare say a laughing stock in college football. They've been bad, and so yeah. that's why. It, but you know, if they're if they're just you know, it's like you know, oh my gosh, they're just right there, and they just can't seem to get over the hump. They're always just competitive, and and win. They they win their they win their they win their conference, but they just can't get it done in in the fours. You know, I, sure you keep that, but I mean, when you just become absolutely uncompetitive, and you lose to teams that most folks pick as their homecoming opponents, then then you lose your blue blood status. It's a it's a it's a tough conversation here. I Is mean, Georgia it, it, football a blue blood? And I say not. All right. Well, Even thank you. Just uh, as we go to break, you ask another yeah. question that would need to be dealt with. Well, we can continue this conversation a little bit later. We do need to take our first time out of the show. We do have a caller waiting on our Auburn Bank phone line as well. And so uh, we will take our first time out of the show. More sports call coming up after this. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Tuesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here. Fun conversation about college basketball. It's Blue Bloods, and it's now reigning national champion UConn Huskies. Hot dog. We need to go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. 334-887-3401 locally. Toll free, one tiger 9 First up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James joins us. James, what are you doing? How are you doing today? I am doing good. I am doing so good that the Yukon Huskies last night actually defeated the uh, San Diego Aztecs last night. That was a really good game, and it was a historic game to actually close out the month of March uh, in the month of April. And that was one of the big games I was waiting to actually see, and I actually got the chance to actually see history uh, turning another page for the UConn Huskies as well. Yeah, UConn's uh, fifth national championship, all coming since 1999. It got a little close there in the second half, but UConn able to pull away, and as they did in every game in the NCAA tournament, they won by double digits. Yes, that's all, because just like I said at the beginning of the March Madness tournament, I actually said that UConn was going to win the national championship for uh, the month of March, and I was correct. So, you know, it's a really good thing that I've seen all of these universities actually try so hard to actually get to the end of the March Madness tournament, and um, I might see UConn actually win it again in 2024. Uh, We will see. we got to see what kind of roster they bring back with the portal and – uh, everything going on in college basketball, but uh, they will, will certainly uh, be celebrating this title. And again, they rose pretty quickly under Dan Hurley. Yes, as well. And then with the UConn Huskies, they uh, they're national champions, so they uh, share a, a 
similar national championship title with the LSU Lady Tigers, and uh, they actually won in the women's uh, March Madness tournament. So congratulations to them as well, and um, I wish them all the best of luck on their journey next year in 2024. Uh, and yeah, that uh, big title for LSU. We talked a little bit about that yesterday, beating Iowa and Caitlin Clark, and uh, everything uh, that LSU was able to accomplish this season. Second year of Kim Mulkey, they certainly uh, rose to the occasion very quickly as well. Yes, as well. And then tonight we do have a big uh, baseball game up in Birmingham, and I think we're going to beat the U- the UAB Blazers. And I think this game is going to be fifteen to six tonight and seeing if Butch Thompson is actually going to win this game tonight as well. Yeah, we will see. I, I, I actually went to the Auburn-UAB game uh, with Brooks right here uh, a few weeks ago, and that was a very quick one. Auburn won a, a lower-scoring game there, and it was a lot of fun. And, of course, they're making the return trip to Birmingham tonight. It'll be interesting to see uh, who they pitch tonight as they've got a uh, home SEC series coming up on Thursday, but Auburn certainly trying to get another midweek victory against an in-state foe. Yes, that's all, because, I mean, with UAB, they really do have a great uh, baseball program, but I'm just going to take this one, and um, Auburn is going to really uh, have those that hot for, uh, you know, to actually uh, do some moonshots tonight in uh, Birmingham as well. We always like some moonshots. What else is on your mind today, James? Well, I'm actually, I was looking at news from uh, Hugh Freeze and what he was talking about before this big uh, game of the uh, A-Day of this weekend, and I was really concerned on his comment of why he didn't want any Auburn uh, football players playing against each other in a spring football game. Why, why would he want, like, Auburn to play like Troy or UAB or uh, Alabama State or Jacksonville State, just to name those few teams, just to name those few universities for the spring football game. And I think this, when you were talking about it, I think that could not, that that comment doesn't make any sense because why would you want to play another another school on a spring exhibition game and then that's just, Going, that's not going to look right because that's going to look like it's an actual uh, fall Saturday game in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Well, I, I trust them to be able to, to know the difference in the two. And I think what, what uh, is growing common now, and I think several coaches are expressing this, is that they practice against each other all the time. And at other mm-hmm. levels of football, in the NFL you have preseason games, uh, in high school, as uh, we've talked about off, off air yesterday, high school has jamboree games against other teams in the spring uh, in a very similar fashion. So the the thought is, why can't uh, some of these big schools play uh, and scrimmage someone else that they normally wouldn't play and, and, and see something other than their own practice yeah. guys? And I was going to include in the NFL, you have inter-squad uh, practices against each other that are not even the preseason games. You'll They'll be just on the practice fields, and they'll have the two teams practicing against each other. And that's kind of what I think Hugh Freeze is pointing out is that type of stuff. Um, you know, not a full-fledged game, but something where you can actually go up against somebody else, hit somebody else, and it's not just your same guys over and over again. And plus, if, if it's your team, if you're on offense and you're playing your own defense, it, it's hard to get a judge for it because the defense knows what you're doing and you know what they're doing. And so you'd re- much rather play against somebody that you might be able to try to trick and they try to trick you. 
Yes, as well, because, I mean, with the Auburn A-Day game, it's, it's one of these uh, exhibition games that's been going on for years since uh, the Pat Dye era. And, you know, since, you know, that that game should be left alone like it should, so that way fans can actually see, uh, you know, they can actually look at the players and see what the players are going to do and see what is going to actually come up of that when they when we actually play an actual game as well to see uh, what mistakes they need or what mistakes they want to work on. And, and that's where the fan base comes in as looking and uh, and idolizing the, the players and seeing what plays they're making mistakes on and what they need to work on to improve a winning uh, season for Auburn. Yeah, but I, I think that you can still do that when you're you're playing somebody else. I mean, someone else is going to expose something that you might not be doing as well. And uh, again, ultimately, you are still at, at this point. I mean, four and a half, five months from the the season, so it's all just trying to get get used to everything. And uh, I, I do think some people would like to see them uh, do something a little bit different. But again, no change on the horizon for now. So Auburn will be going against itself. Uh, in spring day, like like everyone else will be. What else is on your mind today, James? Only got a couple more minutes left here here in this hour. Well, I'm actually getting ready for the Masters and seeing yeah. uh, great history, uh, seeing what what uh, what famous golfers are going to win the uh, green jacket as well. And I'm going to actually play the Masters uh, fantasy golf uh, tournament this time around and seeing if I can win some uh, neat prizes from uh, Augusta National as well. Who, who are you going to pick to win? Um, I might I might as well say I'm going to look in my fantasy for the Masters and seeing if there's any uh, Auburn uh, players that are going to be playing for the Masters. I'm not quite sure who, who, that would, who those uh, Auburn uh, golfers will actually be for this year's Masters as well. Yeah, I'm not sure that any Auburn guys like made Pat, it. Pat and Kizar might be playing. In maybe. maybe. I know maybe. Duffner's not. No. Uh, so it'd be Kazire if anyone. But I, it's the Masters is a smaller major championship field right. than the other majors, so it is not very likely that, that he is in it. Yeah, because I'm, I'm actually looking to actually pick um, Tiger Woods and, and seeing what he's really going to do as well because i think tiger i think it would be his time to win uh the masters in augusta national as well well we certainly uh i know i would personally love to see tiger uh win i I know he's not played much so it might be difficult but he is tiger woods and he's been awesome at augusta his entire career so we shall see james we uh appreciate the phone call today we we hope you call us again tomorrow all right sounds good and war eagle war eagle that is james from montgomery joining us on the auburn bank phone line appreciate james for calling in right there. We are out of time for hour number one. A reminder, coming up at 4.30, uh, we will have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Only a couple more chats with him uh, before we kind of take a little bit of an off-season break. He's been working hard for eight-plus months, and the the news and, and notes will start to wind down a little bit, but we'll have a couple more chats with him, including at 4.30. And we'll have more from Auburn Spring Football. Also, got to talk some Major League Baseball at some point, too, about the Atlanta Braves off to a 3-1 and one start. And the way the game is being played, 
Brooks has a Braves hat on right now, so we got to talk a little bit about that later in the show. Again, out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned. More Sports Gone coming up after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two starts right now of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoie, and I'm joined by Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress today. Uh, we do have the full three-hour show. Uh, reminder, we were not going to, but Beauregard High School had to postpone their game set for today. They postponed it to tomorrow. So we will have that game right here on Tiger 95.9 at 4.30 tomorrow. So we'll have a shortened show the rest of the week, but today is now a full show. Uh, also want to highlight Smith Station Athletics. It's Smith Station Softball will be on our airways on 99.9 Kate FM tomorrow. Then we'll have Smith Station Baseball doubleheader against Auburn High on Thursday on 99.9 Kate FM. Busy week for the batted ball sports, both with high school and then obviously Auburn baseball and Auburn softball playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday series as Easter is on Sunday. Before we get any further into today's show, though, let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in Sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Scott Rowland turns 48 today. Third baseman when he was in Major League Baseball. Second round selection in the 1993 MLB Draft to the Philadelphia Phillies out of high school. Sorry, Brooks. Also playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Tom picked up the slack for you yesterday, by the way. I appreciate that. Uh, He gave us a a few uh, few masks or a few nicknames there. Also played for the St. Louis Cardinals, Toronto Blue Jays, and Cincinnati Reds over a 17-year career rolling as a seven-time All-Star 06 World Series champion, 1997 NL Rookie of the Year, eight-time Gold Glove Award winner, two-time, or excuse me, 2002 Silver Slugger Award winner, member of the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame, incoming member of the 2023 National Baseball Hall of Fame class. Scott Rowland turns 48 today. Amazing, amazing when people actually vote for the Hall of Fame. So he uh, he went to uh, Jasper High School, and they are the Wildcats. So. Wow, nice. Investigative reporting right there. I, I was trying to give. Go cats. There you go. 
There you go. Well, that teamwork backfired, but we'll get it straight <laughs> here because in celebration of UConn's national championship, Ben Gordon turns 40 today. Shooting guard who was uh, the third overall pick in the 2004 NBA draft for the Chicago Bulls out of UConn. Let's go champions. Also played for the Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Bobkitties, and Orlando Magic over 11 seasons. Yes, I know it's the Bobcats making a joke there. Uh trying to alarm JJ hopefully if he's listening in his last year at UConn Gordon was first team all Big East Big East tournament MVP and NCAA champion in 2004 he's also second team all Big East in 2003 in his rookie season Gordon was the 2005 NBA six man of the year and on the all rookie team Ben Gordon turns 40 today Frank the Tank Kaminsky turns 30 current NBA center, ninth overall pick in the 2015 NBA draft to the Charlotte Hornets out of Wisconsin. Let's go Badges. Through that team for beating Kentucky and allowing Duke to win a title. Current playing, Currently playing for the Houston Rockets. Has also played for the Phoenix Suns and Atlanta Hawks. At Wisconsin, Kaminsky was second or two-time first team All-Big Ten. 2015 Consensus First Team All-American, 2015 National College Player of the Year, 2015 Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award winner, and was the Big Ten Player of the Year. His number 44 is retired by Wisconsin. Frank Kaminsky turns 30 today. And Tom Jackson turns 72, was a linebacker, fourth-round pick to the Denver Broncos in the 1973 NFL Draft out of Louisville. Let's go Cards. Played an entire 14-year career with Denver. Jackson was a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time second-team All-Pro, and 1977 first-team All-Pro. Part of the Denver Broncos' 50th anniversary team and the Ring of Fame, uh, Louisville Cardinal Ring of Fame as well. His number 50 is honored by Louisville. Post-retirement, Jackson joined ESPN as a broadcaster for over 30 years and was a recipient of the 2015 Pete Rozelle Radio Television Award. Tom Jackson turns 72 today. Again, uh, Scott Rowland, 48. Ben Gordon, 40. Frank Kaminsky, 30. Tom Jackson, 72. Those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. So get this with Scott Rowland. We mentioned he, he's from Evansville, Indiana. Went to Jasper High School. Go Cats. There you go. <laughs> Teamwork. Uh, during his senior year at Jasper in 1993, he was named Indiana Mr. Baseball. He also played tennis, and he was named to the Indiana High School Basketball All-Star Team. After a flurry of scholarship offers from schools like Oklahoma State and the University of Alabama, Roland ultimately committed to play college basketball for the Georgia Bulldogs. Wow. That commitment was complicated when the Phillies select Roland in the second round of the 93 MLB draft. Uh, he had hoped to forego that deal that allowed him to play in the Phillies farm system in the summer and on the Georgia basketball team in the winter. However, he chose to forego his commitment to Georgia and sign with the Phillies and focus on baseball. So there you go. Apparently a pretty darn good basketball player. Uh, some of these guys are. I mean, some of these guys just have to pick one. Uh, most of them have to pick one. But uh, that does not prevent them from being good in these other sports. Uh, so good birthday list right there. I want to – I'm trying to decide if now's the right time. I think so. We've got enough time before the Justin Ferguson interview at 430. So let's talk a little bit about the first days of Major League Baseball. Um, yesterday, Jeff Passan put out a tweet which was referencing the differences, highlighting the differences in the first four days of the Major League Baseball season compared to 2022. Of course, why this is relevant, we do not have shifts anymore. We have a pitch clock 
a couple other rule changes, including the bases being slightly larger. So here's what it has amounted to so far. And, of course, this is not reflective of yesterday's games. This was coming in yesterday. 2023 had 50 games over the first four, game, uh, four days. 2022 had 49. Time of game in 2022 was three hours and nine minutes. 2023, two hours and 38 minutes, a drop of 31 minutes per game. 2022 batting was a 230 batting average, 308 on base percentage, 374 slugging. 2023, a 245 batting average that's up 15 points. Up 15 points for the on-base percentage at 323, up in the slugging percentage by 18 points to 392. And then stolen bases. This one's pretty big. 2022, 29 out of 43 in the first four days of the season. That's 67.4%. So far this year, 70 of 84. That is 41 more steals and 41 more tries. That is 83 0.3% success rate compared to the 67.5%. And finally, uh, pitch clock violations. Obviously, we did not have any in 2022. In 2023, through the first four days, we have a total of 40. That is an average of 0.8 per game, so a little less than one per game. Hopefully, you digested all of those numbers. If you'd like me to read something again, I can. I sound like a teacher uh, with instructions right now. But uh, Mr. Lavoy, <laughs> what yeah. page are we on? Uh, well, Brooks, uh, this is a one-page document. So how about you find the first page? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I'd be a mean hey. teacher. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so of all the numbers you just heard, uh, assuming you don't want any repeated, uh, what are your takeaways when you hear those numbers? Do you like those differences? Are those positive differences in your eyes? In terms of, I'm just going to tackle the first one you you gave out the the time of game. I think that was the first one you gave. It was one of the first ones you gave out. Yes. The time of game, as a as knowing the landscape of sports nowadays, and knowing the landscape of really people's attention spans, it is a good thing for Major League Baseball to have shorter games because you're keeping people engaged more they, they are like oh i only have to sit down for two and a half hours to watch this game all right cool because that's like a football game football game is about two and a half hours three hours you know somewhere in there nfl a little bit shorter they nfl they, they yeah, nfl stuff. would be the the two and a half the three college has been getting over three recently the uh but you know you're you're competing for people you know nba is about two two and a half hours length uh, hockey, hockey can go a little bit longer too. Hockey borders on that three to three and a half hours. It, it depends on you know how much, how many stoppages, how many if it goes to overtime, shootout, whatever. But you are you're competing for eyeballs, and you you know if you sh you shorten that game time, it makes people more want to watch that because it it takes less time to go through. As someone who does not live in a major league baseball town, and someone who likes to you know go see major league baseball and the closest that i can is atlanta it, it's a little i'm not going to say annoying but a little you know uh bothersome because when you know everybody knows going you know any braves fans around here knows going to the game atlanta when you look at it on a map and you say oh how far is it to atlanta it's about an hour and a half realistically it's probably two hours two hours and 15 minutes when you count in going to the north side of atlanta and you and you factor in traffic so i'm spending the same amount of time in my car 
getting to the game as I am sitting at the game and then double that going back from that game. So like I'm spending more time in the car going to said game than being at that game. And that's not, you know, that's not inherently a, a negative thing. Cause I know a lot of people do that anyway, if, if you're driving long distances, but it's still, you know, I, if, if you're making a day trip of it, you're spending more time in the car than you are at that, at that sporting event. And you are, you, I know you were, you know, doing that beforehand, but it's, it's, you know, you're shortening the time you're up there. It's shortening the time. It, it's shortening the time that people coming from out of town can enjoy the, the amenities of set of the ballpark. And I know if you live around a major league ballpark, if you live in Atlanta, you live in, you know, uh, around Tampa, All the you, suburbs. Yeah, you, you can get there, you know, you know, the back roads, you can get there relatively quick, get in there and you can go there, you know, three you know three four times a week maybe you know three four times a month i get i get to go up there twice a year i mean i could probably go more but you know twice a year i'm I'm, on average i'm going twice a year and i'd like to i like to enjoy my visit i'd like to enjoy walking around the ballpark and you know experiencing all the new foods we talked about all the new foods that they got coming in this year to 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 truest park um it's it for for people for game time for people that are out uh you know a, a certain distant radius away from the stadium it it kind of it, it, it's a little annoying that you you that you don't get as much time to enjoy at the ballpark but i could but i could see and i very much agree that you are competing for eyeballs you are competing to try to get the you know with the ever shortening shortening attention spans of of modern society what were you saying i'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the, I, I'm the, I'm the king of of just talking for ten minutes at a time. So that's also Chris and myself. But no, please continue. Blue, that was a bad call. <laughs> that's garbage. Uh, but you're competing for those those eyeballs. You're competing for you know the 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 attention of people. And shorter games are good for that because it, it helps provide a more of a it feels more urgent that when the games are shorter you don't have you know so much time to sit there and the pitcher's not sitting there and shaking off the the catcher 15 times and then getting set and then throwing over the first three times and i i can i see the positives there but it, it's just being being an old man curmudgeon at the ripe old age of 20 28 28 it's just i i, I like <laughs> to i like to get up there and take my time around the ballpark and if it's a two and a half hour game i can't do that as much I, I will. The only thing that I will say, I agree with everything that you said there. However, the one thing that I will say, take into consider this, especially at Brave Stadium. You know, obviously, you go to somewhere like Milwaukee, they can close the roof. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man! Okay. Um, but if you're sitting in Truist Park, January, 102 degrees, 99 percent humidity. July. July. You mean? What did I say? You said January. January. Like, okay, I get January. we don't have winter all the time down south, but let's calm down a little bit. July. 100, July, 101 degrees, 99% humidity. The sun just beating down on you. You'd much rather spend the two hours in the car than That's true. four hours sitting out there just... Well, but if especially, you bought the tickets to the game, you want to be there anyway. Well, sure, but I mean, I, as somebody who has sat in Truist Park in the middle of July, not January, <laughs> but July, uh, of course, now I'm also very pale-complected and I burn easily, and so it's hard for me to find somewhere comfortable to get without just completely covering every inch of my body. 
Um, so in those, it's like when you're sitting there and it's that hot and in those games, it's just like dragging on. It's like, goodness gracious, dude, come on. It's like, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I kind of get that. But it also does kind of sink when you, you pay that kind of money and you sit in the game and then boom, it's over. And you're like, okay, well, that was fun. Guess we'll go home now. So I think that the, the clearly more compelling argument is for people that are attending these games. I mean, if you're watching this at home, what's effectively happened is you've cut out the time in between the actions. Right, so if you're just right. watching something at home, oh yeah, Since, you know, uh, Sunday I had the the Braves game on. It was a Braves Nationals game, and I'm sitting there. You know, uh, like I said, I, we moved uh, my fiance into what's going to be our apartment this weekend. I'm sitting on the ground building. I don't even remember what I was building for for her. Sure, but I had the game on. Various things, and we, you know, I turned it on probably the first inning, and before I knew it, I looked up and we were in the fifth inning. I'm like, goodness gracious, when did that happen? So. The, the stuff within the ballpark, though, is really interesting. Um, there's layers to this. Uh, there's, so, there's several points to make. Uh, one point I would make in defense of it um, is that two and a half hours, which is the average so far, two hours, 38 minutes, is still as long, if not a little bit longer, than an NBA game, and it's only a few minutes shorter than an NFL game. And people commute to those often. I mean, it's same dynamic. I mean, we've all, I think all of us in here have been to a Hawks game uh, on a, on a one-day trip before. Um, so that is part of it. Now, the rebuttal to that is baseball has always meant to have been a, a more casual experience. You know, NBA action, The I mean, there's... Yes, there's a lot of free throws, and there's some stuff with, uh, you know, it just takes some time to, to do a few certain things and if, if officials get involved. But by a large part, you have two and a half hours of action when you take away the halftime two hours of action. Um, NFL, football, you know, we, we always have time between plays. You know, that that's not changing but there's still some anticipation that the event seems so large that sometimes you got to process what you just happened, what just happened for the last 10 to 20 seconds before the next play. It still feels like action is continuing. Sometimes in baseball, the act of getting in the box, pitcher takes too long, batter gets back out of box, then batter takes too long, then pitcher gets frustrated, steps off. That's the kind of stuff that really slows the game down, absolutely. which Major League Baseball absolutely wanted to get rid of. Now, again, if you are in attendance, though, you're not you're casually talking to those around you, and you're wolfing down your second hot dog of the day. and Listening to it, the keyboard player. Yeah, do, you know, do, there, do, there's some good do, stuff there that I think people have... <laughs> there's Brooks yelling at the umpire. You know, there's great things to take in there um, that you can appreciate being in the ballpark and that you don't mind it taking a little bit longer. Uh, this effort, though, uh, look, I, I so I'm not the full verdict's not in for me. I said I'd wait till the regular season started, but so far I'm liking what I am seeing because. Again, as someone's not going to these games, you know, the cutting down on dead play. I mean, look, we should just see right here. This is how much dead time we had in the game. We had what's worth 30 minutes of absolutely nothing, just a whole lot of nothing happening 
that totaled 30 minutes throughout the course of a baseball game. And that's a lot in this society that wants to be entertained endlessly. And look, we can have a whole separate commentary on the dangers of that and, and society's pitfalls and all that. But if you're just talking about from a product perspective for people uh, consuming the game for the sake of caring about the result of the game, not for the sake of just having a casual afternoon or, or some of the experiences in the ballpark, then you have, you have found the problem. This was the problem. You found it. And now you've isolated uh, non-baseball stuff or non-impactful stuff out of it. So it is achieving its purpose. I will be interested to see, and this is going to be a study more of throughout the year and then in the next couple of years, does attendance go down? Because if these arguments are truly impactful to people, like what Brooks was talking about, lamenting the fact that that's half an hour less in the ballpark when you already drove a good ways to get there and good ways back. Does that actually affect the attendance? If it doesn't, then Major League Baseball has made the correct decision wholeheartedly here because I guarantee you it is a more watchable product on TV. The question is, do people still want to go to that product when it's 30 minutes shorter, when baseball is meant to be, uh, in the past, a more casual and slower game? If attendance does not hurt in general throughout this year and in the next year, then you can breathe a huge sigh of relief in Major League Baseball's office because it's not actually prevented some people from going and consuming the game in person. The other thing is, and now this is not for everyone, but this is also an argument that Major League Baseball could have, is that a lot of baseball stadiums have already done their own stuff to recognize the fact that it is a slower game and more an event, and they have built out like Truist Park, these entertainment areas outside of the ballpark where there are mass amounts of hotels and restaurants and shopping space so that you can also (laughs) – so that you can make it more of a weekend or more of an outing beyond just the baseball experience. And that might save these places. Now, Atlanta is still going to be attended well regardless. The Braves have a, a, a nice, large following and a, a good brand. But that might save some other places that have built more recent ballparks up to that sort of structure where, okay, I didn't, in fact, want to be here only two and a half hours, so yeah. I shall go before the game and get a drink, and then I'll eat in the stadium and then we'll go, or or vice versa. We'll go to the game first, and then we'll grab a drink later, whatever. Um, so there could be some other ways to consume it, and if these ballparks and these teams keep creating these mass areas outside of the ballpark, that would aid in that too. I think you want to have I, I was going to say, I'm already countering my own argument here. Um, I, I, was, I was sitting here thinking it could – you know, one. I just want to point out, talking anytime we talk about uh, Major League Baseball, I just want to point out that Rob Manfred is the worst. <laughs> um, and so, but in in looking at MLB, it could, in the long run, help with attendance. You like you were bringing up help, hurting attendance. It could help with attendance on weeknight games because if you know you're going to the ballpark and it's not a three hour game, you're going to get out of there in two and a half hours. You don't want to be out so super late. And like you know, for for you know, I'm right now it's still in the process of looking for what games I'm going to go to this year. One of them is a weeknight game, 
and I'm now I'm more likely to choose a weeknight game because I'm like I don't want to be getting back here at 1 a.m. Central Time right. back after finding the traffic. Well, if the game starts at six, it's a two and a half hour game. Maybe that's you even eight, get the below average side of it's 220 or 15. Yeah, that's 8:30 Central getting over with. And then, and you know, if if you're, you know, usually by that time the traffic's a little bit lighter in Atlanta, not always, but you know, say you know you do get that true hour and a half back, you're getting back here at what ten o'clock at night, and that's that's you know perfect. Get back at ten o'clock, get ready to go to bed right then. You know, say you stretch that out to you know getting back at eleven o'clock Central Time, still fine. Like you get back before midnight, and so it, it uh, that could end up helping attend it could it it, you could look at it and say this part you know this part it hurts attendance but on weeknight games it could help attendance because it gets more people to the ballpark on weeknights when they're like well we're not going to be here till midnight watching a baseball game so let's you know pack up the family and go you know after johnny gets off of school yeah i I think those attendance numbers will be really relevant to watch because again I, i think that the tv part of it um, is probably pretty airtight here. I think it's going to go over well there. The the attendance part would be because because I mean Brooks made a very valid and real argument that I'm I've seen other people make and uh, I think a lot of people will agree with that go to games is you know they don't go to games necessarily game number fifty seven to just live and die by what the Braves do. Yeah. They prefer the win, but they also want to get some ballpark food and get an experience out of yeah. it. And so. You know, when you get less of an experience, then that can factor in your uh, the the value you see in going to that that event. And baseball in general is a is a sport where you're going and you're kind of making it a, an event out of it, where you're walking around the stadium, you're going to the team shop, you're going to the Hall of Fame and stuff. Football, basketball, you're not really going in and walking around the stadium during the game. You're going in, you're sitting in your seat, you're yelling the entire time, and you're you know it's a high intensity sport. Baseball, it's just a little more relaxed. You're like, ah, oh, I'm going to take this inning off, go walk around a little bit, come back. I'll be right. You know, they've got the the radio going in the under the concourse. We'll know what's going on. So, uh, interesting points there. Uh, this will be interesting to monitor. We do have some other parts of the game that we did not touch on there about how the the, the stolen bases are going and that sort of thing. We might be able to bring back up later in the week or something like that. But we do need to take our first time out of hour number two when we come back. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. We'll catch up with him about spring practice and also the latest on Auburn basketball as Wendell Green Jr. of course went pro on Sunday. His thoughts on that and again as Auburn continues to build their basketball roster. You're listening to this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Tuesday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, and I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with us. And now we're pleased to go back to the Auburn Bank phone line as we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer to the program. Justin, time is always appreciated. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? 
Doing very well. And a, a lot to talk about still as we head towards the conclusion of spring practice. We'll talk a little Auburn basketball a little bit later on, but let's start with spring practice. Of course, uh, Hugh Freeze meeting with the media yesterday and also a little bit of a viewing window for the media as well. What is the general consensus from Hugh Freeze on, on how the team is coming along and, and what parts of the team he feels is, is progressing the most at this point? Yeah, I think the big thing with spring practices, I think, has been there's been a lot of good energy, a lot of good work um, being done. I think the things that have held Auburn back have honestly been things that are really understandable, whether it's you know little injuries popping up for certain position groups like wide receiver, uh, defensive back, corner. I think has been the one that's had the had the most trouble with injuries, um, or it's just like just learning new systems, and you just need to rep rep your way through it, basically, like. You know, you'll hear about the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, you know, being behind. Well, they're changing things completely uh, from what they've been used to doing, and that's just going to come from experience. It's going to come from reps. Um, so, you know, I think I think Auburn has has shown here in spring practices when you hear you know guys who have stood out and whatnot, you hear a lot about guys who um, are new and guys that came in as transfers or you know high school recruits in this in this class, which I think shows that you know this new staff did a really good job of of identifying their needs and, and really going after them and, and finding guys that can play for them right away um but you know that that shows just kind of what they inherited and the challenge is great this is an Auburn team that's lost uh, you know had losing seasons back to back years um so i mean it's it's going to be a grind and a build to get back to where this program uh wants to be but i do think spring practices have set a really good tone uh, for, for you know, that on both, both sides of the ball. A lot of work to be done, um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of growing pains, I think, for this football team in the fall. Um, but, you know, you, you got to feel, um, if you're an Auburn fan, you got to feel better about the direction uh, on the field uh, with, with what we've seen and heard, you know, throughout spring practices. Justin, throughout spring practices, you know, you, you, you've gotten to hear from Hugh Freeze most every Monday since they've gotten started. And every week, you know, he, he gets asked about the quarterbacks. And so we then have to ask you about the quarterbacks uh, when you come on. And, and so through all the, the talk with Hugh Freeze and everything, what has been your takeaways of how they have progressed this spring? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway we're going to come out of spring, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, this, this carries over into into the A-Day game on Saturday is I think Holden Garner has really established himself as a true, you know, even competitor uh, with Robbie Ashford and C.J. Finley in this battle. Um, I think last week he was kind of the talk of spring ball because he had some really good weeks, and I think he had another good week last week. Um, you know, but it's a rotation, and it's pretty even. I mean, we saw we saw Holden Garner kind of come out as a first-team guy last week in practice, this week back as a third team. I think it's just kind of rotation. They're trying to even things out. Robbie Ashford's getting healthier. Uh, that shoulder that had been bothering him um, throughout the spring is getting healthier. Um, he's had some really good practices recently, and he was back with the first team yesterday. I think that just goes to show you that he's taking some steps forward and progressing. And, you know, TJ Finley continues to do some good things uh, out there as well. And it'll be very interesting to see kind of where his mindset is and, you know, what his approach will be uh, here in, in the offseason. Uh, in the summer, whether he stays at Auburn or decides to go elsewhere, or if any of these quarterbacks uh, decide to keep competing here or enter the transfer portal, because um, you know I think these guys all have a shot, but it's hard to you know carry three quarterbacks that you feel like you know could be realistically be starters somewhere else. So uh, it'll be very very interesting to see how that goes. But I think the big takeaway for me will be Garner. 
uh, really, you know, taking those strides forward and, and hang, establishing himself as a true competitor in this battle. Uh, and then also, I think um, a hel- if Robbie Ashford continues to get healthier, I think just a healthier Robbie Ashford has, has gotten a better, um, you know, better uh, report on him uh, than what we may have seen kind of early in the spring and then obviously last season when he was battling so many injuries. And then, Justin, along with Hugh Freeze getting to talk to him every single week, the media has gotten to hear from a plethora of assistant coaches throughout the spring, which hasn't been the case of the last few uh, few years with Auburn football. From your from from listening to their comments and everything this spring, which position group for this Auburn Tigers team do you think is in the best position leaving fall king or leaving spring ball? I think it has to be your running backs. Uh, you know, I would I would say maybe your DBs just because of the amount of experience they have there. But also, I don't think they're quite as deep, and then they need some of these reinforcements to come in over the summer uh, and help them out there. But your running back room is, is is in a great spot. I mean, Jarquez Hunter has been a star uh, in, in spring, like we expected. He's going to be the leader of this offense. He has great potential in this system. Euphrey said yesterday he's probably the best um, running back he's ever coached. The funny thing about that is that Euphrey hasn't actually coached him in a game yet, and he's already saying that. That just shows you what kind of talent Jarquez has, but it's the rest of the room as well. It's in a really good spot. Brian Batia has come come in and is going to give Auburn a lot in terms of his versatility, in terms of his speed, kick return. Uh, he's going to be a shot in the arm there. Uh, Demari Austin's had a great spring. Uh, continues to develop, continues to take steps forward, and I think has the look of a of a future feature back at Auburn. Then you're going to bring in Jeremiah Cobb, uh, you know, over the summer, and the only thing he did was just run for about two thousand yards every year in high school. Uh, at Montgomery Catholic and was one of the best running backs in the country last year. So, you know, it, it, it's just such a strong room and it's, it's a really, really solid uh, group um, because, you know, you have a star, you have depth, you have versatility, uh, and, and you know that in Cadillac Williams you're going to get uh, some really good coaching because uh, his track record since he's come to Auburn and now he's on his third head coach, um, they want to have him around because he recruits and he develops and he takes care of a running back room just as well as pretty much anybody in the country. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. And Justin, yesterday Hugh Free said something that's gotten a lot of attention uh, amongst uh, many media outlets, which is the, the idea that he would prefer to play someone like Troy or UAB in a spring game and have a scrimmage against them. How plausible is that to, to one day happen? Or uh, is the NCAA kind of just in control there? And, and what would be the process there of, of, of happening one day? The NCAA would have to give an approval to it, and they've been a little bit more open. I think there's some new... Uh, regulations in basketball is allowing teams to kind of do spring or summer ball a little bit more and playing those games a little bit more frequently. Um, we already know about scrimmages in basketball where, you know, those closed door ones they have right before the season starts. So there is precedent. Obviously, football is different. It's a collision sport while basketball is a, is a contact sport. So um, you are wanting to keep player safety uh, in mind. But as Freeze pointed out, like you're your uh, your injury uh, risk cuts in half if you play somebody else because you know you're you're hitting somebody else or they're hitting you. It's not like you know when a guy when two guys at the spring game on Saturday hit each other. That's Auburn versus Auburn. I mean, that, that runs that risk. You double it up. Whereas instead, if you play somebody else, you know you can keep guys fresher. You can keep guys healthier. Um, you know, and I, and I think it just it would just make for more entertaining. Um, experience i think you would get to learn more uh you know from a from a team perspective 
if you actually get to go game plan or at least roll out what you know against a new team. Um, so I, hopefully um, they come around to it. But like any of these things, what it takes is a coach like you for reason. We've been we've heard from others today. I know John John Summerall at Troy said he would he'd be open to it as well. Like it, it takes coaches talking about it and then and, and, and creating this public perception and kind of getting that word out and building it up. And then what you can do is later on you can, you know, you know, make those um you know, make those kind of appeals to the to the rules committee and and uh the AFCA can uh kind of uh tailor it and, and, and put their support behind it and that's how stuff like that gets done. So it'd be years from happening, but um it starts by getting the word out and getting the buzz up. So hopefully that's what the start of this is. Couple of basketball ones now for you, Fer, before we let you go. And obviously on Sunday, the big news was Wendell Green Jr. Uh, declaring uh, to or going pro. Uh, obviously, his pro prospects not great. So when we look at this from Auburn's perspective, how surprised were they uh, when Wendell made that decision? And then as far as what Auburn will do uh, at the point guard position, do you feel that they are content with an Aiden Holloway and or Trey Donaldson? in the starting lineup, or is there a, a, a potential to see a portal point guard potentially enter that starting lineup? Yeah, I don't think Auburn was stunned that Wendell decided to move on, and I think for a case for Wendell, that you know, for him, it's that if you want to transfer, it's kind of a bigger hassle since you've already done it. He reminds me a lot of what Jared Harper did um, a few years ago when, you know, if you're a sub-six-foot point, uh, point guard, you're looking around saying, you know what, I ain't getting any taller here, um, so might as well, you know, strike now. He was all SEC player this past year. Auburn's going to have more competition at point guard this upcoming season um, because Aiden Holloway uh, is coming in, because you have Trey Donaldson uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a good move for Wendell. Go ahead and get your money if you feel like you're ready. Um, and, like, even if he doesn't get drafted or he doesn't make a G-League roster, I mean, Jared didn't get drafted either. Um, but he's going to go make money somewhere playing basketball, and I think that's, you know, that's a really, really good thing um, no matter where it is. Um, so for – for Auburn, it'll be very interesting. I don't think Auburn's content at any position uh, when it comes to, you know, they have the transfer portal. They have several spots open right now uh, that they can use um, you know, to go after guys. I mean, there was news today of them going after one of the best transfer centers in the country. Um, so they've gone after forwards. They've gone after wings and shooting guards. A lot of that attention has been placed towards, you know, the wings and the twos and the threes on this team, you know, team in the transfer portal. But you have seen Auburn go after some point guards. There are some guys in the portal right now that they've contacted that are point guard guys. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they, they struck with one of them, um, you know, and really pushed after him and got one. I think they could make it work with Aiden and Trey as your point guard, but uh, I think Auburn's going to be in win-now win mode. And why, why shouldn't you be? Um, you know, you have this flexibility um, and, you know, why wait and, and sit around and play the what-if game? Uh, if you've got the room, you can go attack the portal and get somebody, and I think that's what Auburn's trying to do right now. So point guard could be one of those spots. Justin, if we were playing the game Battleship, you uh, with that last answer, you just hit all around my aircraft carrier, <laughs> which would have been my next question. Because I know at the AuburnObserver.com, we want people to go and check it out. You've got a running list of roster tracker where you're keeping an eye on guys that are leaving the program coming into the program i don't want you to give away everything that you know we don't we mm-hmm. want people to go see your stuff and subscribe to your stuff but give us one name that you think auburn fans should watch coming out of the transfer portal 
Uh, Denver Jones has got to be the big one um, because this is a dude who averaged 20 points a game this year at FIU. Uh, is about a 37, 38% three-point shooter. I think he's 6'3", 6'4". Um, he's got that kind of that two three versatility, maybe more of a two. Um, and he's from Alabama originally. You know, he's from Newmarket. Uh, played at Buckhorn. I mean, he uh, he's a guy who started his high school career at Buckhorn. Like he he was a junior college dude went FIU. He's been one of the best players in the Conference USA. And man, Conference USA had a great year of basketball. Once you see how far a lot of their teams went uh, in the postseason, so um, he's a re- he's the real deal. And you know, I think Auburn would love to bring him in on a visit here. Uh, and you know, shortly, I think Alabama's really hard in after him. Arkansas is as well because Arkansas is trying to get everybody in the portal like they always do. Um, but you know, Denver Jones is the one to keep an eye on because I think he checks pretty much all the boxes of like the peak player that Auburn would want out of the portal. And um, you know, obviously having those Alabama ties will definitely definitely help him out uh, if you're trying to bring a kick back closer to home. This time next week, Ferg, Bucky's will be open. We've asked you about that. Uh, yep. Many times on this show. So, have you plotted when you will enter that uh, that fine establishment, and do you know what's on the short list of potentially being purchased first there? Yeah, this is a this is a mailbag question I had last Friday, and and so um, you know I think uh, I'll see how I feel on Sunday night, uh, but it opens at six o'clock on Monday morning. Um, I would like to be one of the first people in there, um, you know, if I can make it happen. I know they're having a big, like, ribbon-cutting ceremony and all that. It's been a lot of traffic and, you know, you know all that all the stuff that comes with that, like, 9 or 10 o'clock. Uh, but early in the morning, I just, you know, I think I, I think I can make it work. It'll be the first day of the true off-season for me. So, you know, it's not like I have to be anywhere um, later in that day. So I think I, could, I think I could pull that off. And if that's the case, if I do make it on the first Monday – um, you know, if you get there, if you get there early enough in the morning, uh, you can get a you can get a breakfast taco there. And uh, my go-to is a thing called the hippo, which um, is let's see if I can remember it all off the top of my head. It is bacon, egg, cheese, refried beans, uh, uh, potatoes, and green salsa. On it. And it's very it's very very good. It's less of a taco, more of a burrito once you pack all that stuff in there. Uh, but it's real. It's what it's well worth the money. Yeah, no, that that sounds like a lot. Uh, that is a that would be some way to start the day. Uh, so, uh, Justin, before we let you go here, though, uh, I, I know uh, Brooks referred to uh, the, the scholarship tracker that you got for Auburn basketball. What else do you have have going on right now with the Auburn Observer? Yeah, you can check out uh, yesterday's practice observations. We had about I think it was over twenty five hundred words on on that. So a lot of stuff in practice yesterday. If you want insights into that. Uh, tomorrow, writing a story on Auburn's inside linebackers. Um, there's a couple of trends with this linebacker crew that I think Auburn fans will be pretty happy to, to hear about after uh, talking to Josh Aldridge today. So you can check that out. Uh, we'll have mailbag later in the week, podcast as well. Looking ahead to A Day, we'll be you know covering A Day all weekend long. And then uh, yeah, this is the perfect time to sign up because on Sunday our sale that we've been running through spring ball comes to a close. $40 for your first year of the Observer. It's the cheapest price we will give um, you at any point. And, uh, yeah, if you sign up, you will get all the off season, all the football season, and all basketball season for just $40. We email everything to you, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast. So a whole lot of Auburn football and Auburn basketball, auburnobserver.com. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on this edition of Sports Call. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Absolutely. Thank you, man. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Love the work that he does. Uh, what Everything from creating the Auburn Observer to the podcast he puts out to, again, this, the scholarship tracker, which Brooks referenced. I mean, he uh, he does it all there with football and basketball. Very much worth uh, your, your money to go subscribe to the Auburn Observer. We are out of time here for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, a little more in spring practice. Also, we'll eventually try and get to our best and worst of the weekend that we were not able to get to again uh, yesterday. And if you want to give us a call on the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 Again, out of time for hour number two. Stay tuned. More sports call after the break. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starts right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. And I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me here today. Appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the program today. He talked a little bit about spring ball and about the Auburn basketball roster. We've also talked some Major League Baseball today. We've talked several things. Talked the national title game last night between UConn and San Diego State. Uh, and if you missed any of that, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, which is brought to you by Coca-Cola. Make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. What we're going to do now is we're going to take what we've heard from spring practice so far as we're starting to get in the, in the final days as we work towards the A-Day game this Saturday, and we're going to power rank the position groups for Auburn football, and we're going to use uh, seven of them. We're not going to rank the special teams in this in this mix. Uh, we will rank quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, slash tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, and defensive backs. So we'll put safeties and corners together. So, guys, uh, I don't know if you want to start top or bottom. I'll let you guys choose. I feel like most of the bottom is going to be occupied by offensive position groups, but there's going to be one really good offensive position group. So uh, either one of you guys want to start off with your number one or your number seven. Let you take the wheel here. I guess I'll start off with number one, and I, I think it echoes what um, you know. the question we, I, I asked uh, Justin Ferguson the last hour was, which position group do did he think was – 
coming out of spring in the best position. And I, I you know, I, I think everybody's going to, I think everybody's going to say the same thing. The running backs are in the best position group. You, you've got some guys in that, in that room, uh, headlined by Jerquez Hunter, who are uh, some guy. Uh, all of them have the potential to be, you know, the next guy in the line of uh, great Auburn running backs that we've seen over the past, you know, few years. Uh, and of course, Jerquez Hunter and you know, Hugh Freeze has talked highly of him during the spring. At, and like you said, Ryan has yet to coach him in a game. Has yet to to have him as his running back in a game. And so I, 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 I putting at the very top is the running backs from the best position. Uh, coming out of spring practice, and that's a good good base to have, especially in, when you're for an offense that's you know you're changing things up, and you know a lot of the offensive groups as as Fer, uh, Ferg mentioned last hour, they're all learning a new offense. It's a it went from you know most of these guys that are here experienced or well not most of them but some of them here experienced three different uh, are on their third head coach. You had the Gus Malzahn style. And then you went to the Brian Harson style of offense, which was a almost a complete 180 from what Gus Malzahn was doing. Now you're going back to what Gus uh, kind of did with the Hugh Freeze style of offense that you've seen him run, and with the with the running back group, it that's a good base to have. Obviously, you'd like your offensive line to be you know the ba- uh, uh, solid too, but if you can lean on that running game a little bit while you you know nurture your your quarterbacks into what they need to be and nurture your wide receivers into a position uh, over this year and over the next coming years uh, that you can, you know, open up the offense a little bit more. If you've got a good running game, that can that can help you stay on at least stable ground while you get other positions around you on offense to uh, to build up. Tom, do you agree running backs your number one? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that's an easy number one uh, just because, yeah, I mean, Jarquez Hunter is one of the best in the country. You've got some other guys that are coming in there. Uh, easily, easily, the uh, the top top group is I running agree. back. So. Brian Batty is someone that Ferg mentioned. The transfer from South Florida, a lot of people are loving. Might have the ability to return uh, for Auburn this year too. And then a lot of people murmuring and maybe of the opinion Jarquez Hunter is going to end up even more productive than Tank Bigsby. We will see on that, but uh, he is garnering a lot of praise, including from head coach Hugh Freeze. I'll start us off with the second position. Feel free to agree or disagree. I'm going defensive backs number two. I think you have so much returning in the defensive backfield. This was obviously going to be a better starting point than most position groups when you're talking about the likes of Zion Puckett, DJ James, Keontae Scott, uh, Nehemiah Pritchett, Jalen Simpson, obviously. I mean, they, they got a lot back in that secondary. And then you add to it the the murmurs of what we heard about with Kyan Lee and, and how impressive he's already been in the spring. Of course, that was the four-star corner that looked like he was going to go to Ohio State and ends up at Auburn. And so I think that that group is probably the the solid number two. Any disagreements there? I, I can't really disagree with that. Um, I, I mean, it would I, kind of be close with maybe the defensive line, but I, you know, yeah, I think you've still got so many that you're replacing there, and you've got just so much coming back in, in the defensive secondary that I will I worry about losing someone like Derek Hall and sure. I uh, will get into D line. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, there's still pieces there. There, there's good pieces there, but I, they're more, they're, they're more better pieces. Great English there, right? Um, more depth yeah, for yeah, others. More, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you got to go with the the secondary on that. I, you know, 
I, not as cut, not quite as cut and dry as, as running backs being the number one. But uh, you know, it's it's really hard to argue against that. Brooks, you going DBs number two as well? You see, I I do like the the talent, and I the, we, it's been talked about on uh, not not necessarily uh, I can't you know point out when we've talked about it, but it, it has been said in some of the the media sessions with some of the coaches that the linebackers have talent there, and I do like what they've got, but you just don't have as much as, as you guys said proven. Uh, on the field stuff as the the guys in the defensive back. So I, I'd have to go defensive back some third. Nehemiah Pritchett, Zion Puckett, Donovan Kaufman, guys, DJ James uh, guys out there, Keontae Scott are guys that have you've seen the field last year. You know what it's like to play here. Uh, and it, I know it's a new defensive coordinator, new defensive staff, but you're, you still know what it's like to play Auburn football. You know what it's like to play in the, the heart of the SEC. So I, I, I do – I think the second is it's not close to it, it it's not a close second. It, there's a there's a gap between those those running backs and the cornerbacks, but I, I think the, the DBs are, are definitely number two for me. All right, number three. Sounds like you guys might end up with a different number three. That, well, and that's the thing, because I mean there's two clear cut top units on that mm-hmm. team right now. Um you know, I and but I mean I have I have to I think I, I think I've got to go with the defensive line. On that over the linebackers, it's very close. They're both they they've both got their issues that are going to have to be uh, rectified this season. But they've they've still both got good players. But I, I feel a little more confident in the defensive line right now. Brooks, what do you got? Um, but you uh, well, Tommy, you have linebackers four. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You see, I, I'm because then you're going to start getting into bad, right? I didn't. I didn't mention the defensive line when I was talking a moment ago with them. I, I give the edge slightly to the linebackers, but it is oh so like if you told me if, if, if it could you know if if you heard from you know Hugh Freeze tomorrow and you said this is you know these guys the, the defensive line had a good day I could flip it. It's it's basically three A and three B for the defensive line and the linebackers for me. I, I like the talent on both of them. I do think having guys that uh, you know a couple guys coming in that you're you, you know you with the defensive line that uh, that played a little bit last year um, helps a little bit better. And so I I, I think I would ju- just because I, I I want I like the potential for that linebacking core. Um, I, I would put the linebackers as three A and then. Defensive line is three B, but t- you know, for this purpose, we'd go a close four. I, I am going to go uh, defensive line three and, and linebackers four, and I'm going to go based off of what Hugh Freeze has been telling us in recent days. Uh, when he had the opportunity to highlight anyone that was making big improvements, he hi- highlighted someone on the defensive line, Mazai Nasili Kiete. Kiete, excuse me. Uh, we know that Jeffrey Emba is somebody that. Uh, could end up being very productive. A lot of guys are are high on uh, the freshman Wilkie Denod, and then Marcus Harris returning for some senior leadership up front too. Uh, Zykevius Walker's been in the program for a while, uh, and then also in reference to yesterday, Hugh Freeze did talk about he was really pleased with the tackling overall, which usually would maybe linebackers might stand out there, but he actually said <laughs> linebackers have quote a lot on, on their plate. Uh, and are v- being very inconsistent, and so that kind of alerted me to you know that is not something that he is thrilled with thus far. So reading those tea leaves, I feel defensive line might be a little bit ahead of the linebackers. So I'd go three defensive line, four linebackers. Now, as Tom alluded to, you're, you're going down this list, 
and uh, it gets more problematic pretty quickly. Um, as you've deduced, we now have our weakest three units remaining are all offensive units, quarterback, wide receiver slash tight ends, and offensive line. So how do we want to rank those in the pecking order of power rankings so far? So uh, I, I think you right now, just my opinion, you have to go quarterback right now. Quarterback five or quarterback seven? Uh, wait, where, where are we at on the We're descending here? order. We're from one to seven. We're at five right now. So five would be quarterbacks. So you're saying quarterbacks are in a better spot than wide receivers and offensive line? Yes. Okay. Right. And, and the reason I say that is, you even if even if you don't even if you don't go portal, you got Robbie Ashford coming back. Was he the greatest quarterback out there? No, but I mean he was serviceable. I mean he did some good things. He's all right. Um, Holden Garner, for everything that we've heard, spring is is he has really come along. And is showing what he what he can do, and if all else fails, you you've still unless he transfers out, you've still got T.J. Finley, who yes, he's not good, but I mean it's a guy that gives you experience. He's he's got the SEC experience, so I mean you've got you've got two dudes right now on the roster that have some solid experience. That yeah, they might not be the greatest things, but I mean you've got two dudes with some good experience, and you got a redshirt freshman that people are raving about right now, and. I, I feel more comfortable with that right now because the offensive line is going to be vastly shaken up from what we saw last year because that was one of the weakest parts of the team last year. And that was, but that from recruiting that dates back to the Malzahn days of the lack of recruiting on the offensive line, the lack of depth on the offensive line and things like that, um, you're, you're already going to be looking at almost a brand new offensive line when you start this season. And so that makes me feel like quarterbacks are in a better position, even though they're not really very good, but they're guys that have experience. They've got the SEC experience. They've got the big game experience under the lights and everything like that. So I, I'm going to go with the quarterbacks, but not big of a gap there. So quarterbacks five, I think then they're better. Receivers are O-line six. I, I'm actually – Mm, very close. What bothers me is everything that I have seen the beat writers talking about and things like that, that the receivers are not good, like what they've seen in practice. I've seen uh, a lot of things. I even mentioned it. Uh, Heather Dinich from ESPN was out there embedded, and she even mentioned, she's like, you know, Auburn fans, you're going to have to be, and it was like uh, patient with your wide receivers. I feel like offensive line because there has been such a priority on getting those guys in there and getting that revamp that I think they might be in a better situation right now. The wide receivers, I'm just not sold. I mean, yeah, you've got some guys there, um, but I, everything I've been hearing is like the receivers have just not looked good at all. I would, Brooks is like clenched fists, like like. But, it, but I, will say, I I will say this: I I could I could legitimately give an argument for flipping offensive line and receivers. I I still feel very confident with what I'm saying with quarterbacks are being in a better position right now than O line and receivers. But I I could see the argument with flipping the line and receivers. I just I I'm I'm very concerned with what I've heard. Uh, coming out through the spring from beat writers and other people about what they've seen with receivers and 
how they just have not looked good at all. Clenched fist is not the right term. He locked locked fingers, like like kind of like Stewing. like yeah, just yeah. deep in thought, agonizing. Blue, that's a terrible call. Uh, <laughs> um, Get some glasses, Blue. Um, I, and Brooks, I, you've been there a couple times. You've seen some I, of those. I have been yeah. there a couple times, and I, I'll tell you what. So you I, may have a better input on that since I have not personally seen it. I was say I, I've been to uh, quite a f- uh, quite a few of the uh, the media viewing windows and. I have been around the quarterbacks and wide receivers quite a bit. That's actually the the main group that I always go and I, I stand and I watch the quarterbacks and wide receivers uh, for the most part um, when when I'm when I'm out there. I would I would tend to agree with you, Tom. I, I think even though I know not a lot of people are high on the the quarterback situation uh, for this Tigers team right now, you've still got three guys that uh, that you could you know potentially be. You know, you've you've seen maybe not with Gurner because we haven't really seen him in a in a pivotal game situation, but at least you've seen some flashes of uh, of some the you know T.J. Finley and flashes of Robbie Ashford. Now they're few and far between, and would I rather have any you know an, another guy in there? Probably, I'd rather you know pull in pull in someone else. But we have not seen either of these guys. Outside of in, in, of a pro style offense, and I don't know if uh, at least at Auburn, and you know, with especially with Robbie Ashford, I feel like he could be more suited to what the what Hugh Freeze is trying to do with this off. Hugh Freeze and Phil Montgomery are trying to do with their offense here, and so I, I would put the quarterbacks in in a slightly better situation at number five. I, I not still not confident in their their abilities. Uh, but uh, realistically, if you you know if you see oh, you know that first day of the of the new football season in, in August or September, and you see Robbie Ashford trotting out there as a starter against UMass, I I, I think that's a realistic possibility. And so I, I I'll put them at five, six. You see, I'm the the receivers that I'm I'm with you as well, Tom. On that, it 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 worries me. And especially when national beat writers that go around and see, you know, they're like Heather Dinich was at Auburn and then she went to Alabama and she's, you know, she's making her trek around the country, right. getting into, you know, a couple of days at all these other different camps. When she tweets about the wide receivers, you're kind of like, hmm, you know, and she's watching everybody. She, right. She's there watching. She watches all the teams. She knows, you know, she she's in the know on, on what's going down. But I, I, part of me still has confidence in a guy like you know a guy like Coy Moore to take a step forward and uh, and you know be a be an SEC caliber wide receiver and he you know well he is an SEC caliber wide receiver but uh, take that step forward and be be a good wide receiver for this team but I just don't know the the thing that is leaning me toward the offensive line is because they revamped it you've got so many new faces on that line but you've still got a lot of guys there that had some playing time last year that you can at least uh you know think okay so if if we have to go with this set of guys at least they hadn't you know time to play with each other last year and maybe they got some cohesion with them but if we go with this set of guys or a mix and match there's uh, enough talent here now that you can make something happen. I'm not a hundred percent sure that if you know you look at whatever combination of wide receivers you throw out there on the field, that you're confident that you can make big plays happen. And I'd have to put offensive line six and wide receiver seven. I think I'm going to mirror your years, you your last three, Tom. 
So in a very roundabout way, you agree with me. Yes. Thank you so much. I have <laughs> We're just trying to build distressed. that broadcasting uh, there we go. The co- cohesion. Cohesion, yes. I've been distressed for 10 minutes because I hate the bottom three groups <laughs> here. Um, uh, the, well, and the thing is, I do too because of the bottom three – I mean, it's your offense. I mean, right. this, it, it's, yep. it's your it's your damn offense. It's quarterbacks, yep. quarterbacks, wide receivers, and offensive line. And we're sitting there going, "Well, these are the three. This wor- is less bad than this. This, and is, this yeah, is these are the worst. These are the worst that. parts of the team right now. Oh, your offense. Right. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. I you guys made compelling points. Uh, I am going to disagree though. And I'm going to stick to what I had coming into this, which, to be fair, I'd only decide on five. I'd not decide on six and seven yet because I just didn't want to. Um, but I will disagree. I'm going wide receivers five. And then I'm undecided on QB and offensive line six and seven. I understand that Robbie Ashford is a wonderful runner. He was a 49% passer last year. Oh, and yeah. that's the leader for the the Mm. potential starting job. And look, some of this is going to clearly improve just because Hugh Freeze is here, right? And and that is part of it. But this is also a ranking in spring. This is a power ranking in spring. It could even change in the fall with portal stuff. Someone else comes in here. We hear more about the development. What concerns me, and I failed to mention this yesterday, thankfully Ferg did, Robbie's shoulder's been messed up in the spring, apparently. I mean, he's not been 100% healthy. What he needs to improve on involves his shoulder. (laughs) It involves him throwing the football tj finley we've seen parts of in two different years i don't think really anyone wants to see part three of tj finley at this point and then everyone's kind of relying on holden gurner but we have not really seen him he played a couple of snaps last year and it didn't go well i mean it's not fair to it's not fair to judge that i'm not saying that's who he is it's not who he is it's two snaps but i'm just saying there's nothing with our own eyes to tell us that it will translate from high school to pro and then or high school to college and then Tom you had your concerns if he if he fits what Freeze is gonna do. So I don't think the quarterbacks are in a good situation. I certainly don't think the offensive line is in a good situation. So I guess I'm gonna have them seven. I'll start backwards. I'm gonna have them seven because they are new. Uh, we just have no idea what to expect. The offensive line was not good last year, not really good at all. Uh, and there's a lot of new faces. I think the ceiling is better at offense line than it has been the last couple of years, but it's going to take some time to get there. there. Auburn got some really nice pickups, both in the portal and high school ranks from the offensive line ranks, but they're new, and some of them are true freshmen, and true freshman offensive linemen, you know, there's still some physicality to gain there. So Growing pains. Right. Pain. So, you know, they might not be there, but some of those guys might contribute heavily and very positively in a couple of years. So I'll go them seven. I'll go QB six. I, here's my argument for wide receiver at five, okay? I think that the guys we saw last year are guys better suited. Kind of like you guys were talking about the quarterbacks. I think the wide receivers are better <clears throat> suited in a spread system than in a pro-style system. We do talk about, or we don't often talk about, the fits of, of other positions uh, in different types of offenses. Usually we focus on the quarterback fit. But I think you can have different fits with wide receivers too. And a lot of these wide receivers were, like Javarius Johnson, for instance. I don't see Javarius Johnson as a pro-type receiver. But what I do see him as is someone that can spread it out, use his speed, and do something successful in a spread offense in, in multiple ways. And I see that out of him. There's someone that, okay, I'll go out on limb here. He might not be a big contributor, might not. I really like Camden Brown. 
I think Camden Brown has a very high ceiling. I watched him in the Arkansas game last year when he when he finally got to play a good bit. And it looked like someone that can be physical, like Hugh Freeze likes. He's a little bigger at 6'3", and it looks like he can win tough one-on-one battles, not with speed, but with physicality. And that's something that Hugh Freeze does uh, value in his wide receivers. And so I really like Camden Brown. And then if you also listen to Hugh Freeze uh, talking to the media, he's really high, as we talked a little bit about in the portal, someone that could make a difference. He's really high on Rivaldo Fairweather, the tight end from Florida International. He said he's the most consistent uh, ball catcher right now and, and that he's going to have him, him and the tight ends are going to have uh, a lot uh, a lot on their plates. But remember, wide receivers slash tight ends. And the tight ends factor in here too. That was part of the position group. And I think there's a wealth of tight ends that Auburn has at the, their disposal that are going to positively impact them. And I trust some of those tight ends. Uh, like I said, like Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, they've also got a lot of guys they've recruited in recent years still waiting for some playing time. I, I think that it is the lesser of three evils right now. Now, again, that can change on the whim. If we get more concrete examples of quarterbacks improving, uh, it, we see it with our own eyes on Saturday or Auburn picks someone up in the portal, then absolutely I'll adjust that. But for now, I just want, <laughs> I, I am nervous about a lot of things offensively. I'm a little bit more nervous about getting the ball to the quote-unquote inept wide receivers than I am the the, the quote-unquote inept wide receivers not being able to catch the errant pass. Um, so that is what I'm more focused on right now. That's why I put it a little bit lower. But good to do this. I'm glad we had a little difference there at the end. We were almost dead even one through four so a little little dispute there at the end you gotta have a little mix it yeah well i mean some of those at the top of the list were pretty easy i mean those are easy but yeah i mean you get down there towards the end i mean i'm sitting here looking at this depth chart and i mean you're looking at the offensive line it's all newcomers except for jeremiah Wright. (laughs) yeah i mean i could just let that be dead air for a few seconds and let everyone process that but right now what this is listed gunner britain jeremiah Wright, the one returner Avery Jones, uh, Xavier Miller, Dylan Wade, and then Rivaldo Fairweather at tight end. Yeah. All brand new guys except for Jeremiah Wright. And that's you just – I mean, at least, at least they're new, as in that they, most of them were not sitting behind someone that was not getting a, a good job done. You know, I will say that, that there's new blood in there. But, again, it's just impossible to know at this stage, a couple months in, and really for practice, like a few weeks in – and say, well, this has clearly changed everything. Uh, we're not going to know that until they actually start hitting people in September uh, with the offensive line. But I don't know. There's a lot to work on on the offensive side of the football. Uh, but glad we could talk a little bit about uh, some of our position rankings as we are heading into – we are in the final week of spring practice, of course, with A-Day coming up on Saturday. We need to take another timeout when we come back. We will get done with a best and worst of the weekend. Even though it's on Tuesday, we did not get to do that on Monday. So I hope, hope everyone has them prepared. Best and worst of the weekend and a nightly TV guide to close it coming up after this timeout. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. 
Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Tuesday afternoon. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here. It's been a fun one today. If you missed any of it, check out the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. We had Justin Ferguson on talking Auburn spring practice along with uh, some Auburn basketball roster news. And uh, we've also talked a good bit about spring football day, a little Major League Baseball, a little National Championship game. A little bit of everything today on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. A few more minutes left in the show. We do have time for one more phone call on our Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, one 888 9 next up. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Shazam. Was it pretty good? Yes. Good. Uh, I loved it. Special effects, it, it, you won't do justice uh, if you watch this on a big screen TV. Uh, the movie is uh, is intended to be a big screen anyway, but I, I loved it. Okay. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate you putting me on. I know I'm, I'm a short uh, leash here. So the reason I wanted to just briefly uh, get on today is about a really feel-good story that you typically uh, I typically don't read about and very rarely hear about uh, from major league uh, sports organizations, uh, especially uh, because they tend to be rather, I, I think, very profit-oriented margin and uh, greedy. But this is one that came to my attention from Insider.com and it's entitled, The Dodgers Keep Giving a Retired Player with Bipolar Disorder and Schizophrenia $0 contracts so he can keep his health insurance. Uh, It's written by Court Gaines, March 28th. Just to briefly let you know what happened, uh, this is a player by the name of Andrew Tolles, T-O-L-E-S, who played for the L.A. Dodgers from 215 to 218. Do you recall his name? Yeah, I do actually know that name. He, I believe he was a catcher. Uh, he was an outfielder. Oh, never mind. All right, someone else. Okay. Then. Yeah, he was an outfielder, and apparently he was very good. Okay. He played initially for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, but then got traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2015. All right. And then the story, that's where the story begins real quickly. According to Houston Mitchell of the LA Times, the Dodgers have re-signed tolls so that he can maintain access to the team's health insurance. Why? Because they said as of 2018 was the last time he played for them, it seems unlikely he'll ever play with them again. In 2020, the article goes on to say that tolls are found homeless and sleeping behind a building in Key West, Florida. He was arrested on charge of misdemeanor trespassing and released to the care of his father. His father said in 2021 that he has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder along with schizophrenia. That's double whammy, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. These people don't do well without medication. They typically go off of it because they think they're doing better. Anyway, his father was on to say that he uh, hears voices, and sometimes he will watch uh, baseball games, but he doesn't at times really comprehend maybe what's even going on. Well, he played, Toes played for uh, the Dodgers for three seasons and apparently was a sensational player, according to this article, uh, had stellar play in their 2016 National League playoffs. Now, get this part. This is the, the good field part. This is the fifth straight season that the Dodgers have quietly renewed Toe's contract. He's on the Dodgers' reserve list, but does not receive a salary. Yeah. That is a... Uh, now, go ahead. I don't know too many organizations that do that, 
for any players, um, but for any, any people in general, guys. And I said, wow. You know, I've never been a Dodgers fan, uh, obviously because they end up playing the, 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 the Braves. But I've said from here on out, I'll pull for this team as long as they're, they're not playing uh, the Braves. Uh, you guys, any comments before I let you go? Yeah, no, that is a, a nice story. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot of these teams have uh, plenty of capability to do things like that. And uh, the very unfortunate life circumstance there for Andrew Tolles, and uh, that is that is very good of the Dodgers to do that. And on a sour note, I'll talk about more just tomorrow. Maybe you guys already talked about it, but I did not know that uh, a player for the uh, Los a- for the Angels apparently took it out on some fans over the weekend for what he thought was being called a certain name. Right, Anthony Rendon. Yeah, Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did you see the video clip of that? I did. Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, I, you know, he had no right. In fact, I thought the players were prohibited. In fact, he's been fined, right, for taking a swipe at the player. And suspended fan, five right? games, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't know what the player is. I mean, the fan was alleged to saying the word B-I-T-C-H, but we don't know what he really said. But they were security. They apparently did nothing because I saw the video, uh, but I thought uh, we talk talk about more tomorrow. And, you know, uh, I know the Aztecs lost badly. I was pulling for them. But they actually had a legitimate chance of what, about four minutes left in the game. They were down by five points, weren't they, guys? Yep, they had gone on a run, cut it to five, and uh, just, just couldn't keep going there. Just couldn't keep going. Oh, well, uh, I was proud of their efforts, and uh, that's all I got, guys. Thank you for letting me on. I appreciate it. You're, you're, you're recognizing me to even be on here this uh, short amount of time. But definitely appreciate it, you guys. Have a safe afternoon and evening, and until tomorrow, War Eagle and Shazam. <laughs> appreciate it, Steve. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line there. Only a couple minutes left in the show. That is a very nice story about Andrew Tolls. I was remembering J.R. Tolls, who is a catcher for the Astros from 07 to 11. I'm not 100% crazy, only about 80 to 90% given on the day. All right, real quickly, we have a, a time for a very brief best and worst of the weekend. Won't even play the bumper. Let's get right to it. Uh, give me both right now. You got a couple minutes. Best and worst of the weekend. Uh, a, a worst, <clears throat> excuse me. A, a worst for me was uh, the uh, end of the Auburn gymnastics season, a, a season that just had so much promise with everything. And obviously, Sunny Lee uh, couldn't finish out uh, the season because of a kidney issue that has now come out. Um, but um, they saved their worst for the most important meet and did not even advance past. <clears throat> where they were supposed to. Now, Darian Goburn is going to go uh, to the Nationals on floor, but uh, as a team, they just had an absolute... They fell three straight di- times, I think, on, the on bars. bars. Yeah, they did. That's what did it. Uh, did it had in. an absolute disastrous performance uh, in, in the uh, NCAA Finals, and so they didn't advance any further than that. And again, this was, you know, early on, a lot of people thought that this is a team that might could be com- compete for a national title just because with Suni Lee coming in and Darian... And all yeah. the it's like all the pieces are there for Auburn to have something absolutely special this year, and uh, down through the stretch they really fell off. SUNY uh, got hurt, and then an epic disaster performance uh, out there out west. So definitely a worst there. Uh, best, um, man, I, a lot of stuff with it. I, I goodness gracious, um, may, maybe the buzzer, maybe San Diego State's buzzer beater, sure. In the final four, I mean that that's that's pretty special when that happens on a final four. You don't get to see a lot of buzzer beaters in some of the most important games. So I'll go with that one. 
Uh, worst of the weekend was lifting heavy things up and down stairwells. Uh, <laughs> even though it was it was good that we got you know got the move and everything, and it's moving into a new uh, phase of life. But having to having to carry, uh, and I, I'm sure my brother Blaine would repeat the sentiment: having to carry uh, dryer a dryer, a washer, bed frames, mattresses up and downstairs, not great. Mm. Best of the weekend, um, I would say probably. Uh, probably the final four. It was two two pretty you know pretty decent games, uh, especially that first game that the San Diego State buzzer beater. It was it was great. Always an event that you look forward to and you mark on the, on the sports calendar every year that you're you say I I've got to sit down and watch, even if you're a casual basketball fan. And so yeah, it's the best of the weekend was final four games. All right, my best of the weekend uh, from NASCAR was uh, Josh Berry driver filling in for Chase Elliott in the nine car. Finished second place at Richmond Raceway. Uh, their their team had a great strategy to get him towards the front in the late uh, late race caution, uh, and then uh, Josh Berry out of absolutely nowhere was able to finish second. Very tough uh, for Berry, who had uh, only been in the Cup Series for a couple races now, uh, coming up from the Xfinity Series, hadn't been in that very long. Taking over for NASCAR's most popular driver. Great job by Josh Berry and his team. Uh, to finish second subbing for Chase Elliott. My worst of the weekend, which I need 60 seconds on, and we have 120 seconds left in the show, is uh, the collective bargaining agreement in the NBA, Uh, the new collective bargaining agreement, which is essentially penalizing teams for spending more money, trying to give that money back to the teams that don't spend money purposely, and uh, penalizing teams like the Warriors, who have five of their top six players as players they drafted that just so happen to be awesome, therefore they have to pay a lot. Well, now they're penalizing the top teams uh, for being good, I guess, and are going to make them uh, have to give some back and not have as many weapons in trades and free agency to lure new players. So a uh, terrible move by Adam Silver. And then the other part of that is the new in-season tournament, which is absolutely moronic. And they're going to try and make this a in-season tournament that's going to kind of be within the parameters of the regular season, but they're going to add a couple games for the teams that advance to the final rounds of it. So instead of getting rid of a few games or, or trying to treat the load management situation, they're actually going to add a couple games for a few teams. And the guys that win get an extra $500,000, which to us would be awesome. To guys that make 20 and $30 million a year, I do not think that is going to move the needle Look, adding an in-season tournament when you're all playing each other anyway, it's not soccer. Soccer, you have other leagues and other teams from other leagues compete in these tournaments. This is still the same 30 teams in the NBA. It makes zero sense. It's unnecessary. The CBA, very poor job done by the players negotiating and by the NBA I uh, just am not looking forward to a mid-season tournament whatsoever. That is my worst weekend. And, by the way, that came out at like 2 in the morning on oh. Saturday night, so news dump if I've ever seen yeah. one. Uh, I, I'm throwing uh, – this is like breaking trend. I know that was best and the worst of the weekend, but I'm saying best week right now, it's Masters week. Oh, it yeah. is. We, we start with the Par 3 tournament tomorrow. Absolutely one of my favorite – sports weeks of the entire year's masters week and i'm so excited absolutely all right nightly tv guide our show is about to end 
but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Real quick, Sports Call Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer Brooks. What do we got? Uh, well, first, Adam Silver's second worst commissioner behind Rob Manfred? Maybe. People are asking. People are asking. Uh, pe- what people are also asking is what's on TV tonight. No, no movies for you tonight. Sports only in the baseball world. Six o'clock on TBS. Philadelphia Phillies take on the New York Yankees. Game two of that series. Uh, game one was last night. You could see that on MLB Network. Uh, the Braves take on the Cardinals. Game two, uh, Dodd. Dylan Dodd gets his Major League Baseball debut tonight at 645 on Bally Sports South. Elsewhere, the CONCACAF Champions League gets, uh, continues at 7 o'clock on FS1. Philadelphia Union versus Atlas. Then at 9 o'clock, it's Leon versus Viol- uh, Violette. Sure. Uh, uh, there's some hockey on tonight. NBA G League Finals is on tonight. And of course, Auburn uh, Baseball takes the action on CUSA.TV is where you can watch that as they visit the UAB Blazers at 6. And that's a look at your night TV guide brought to you by our friends at Wet Claw Hard Seltzer. Second worst of the weekend, people thinking Judy McLeod's a good commissioner of conference. <laughs> She's terrible. That's why half the league's, uh, half the league's leaving. People are asking. Yeah, already. Uh, all right. Thank you, Tom, for being here today. We'll hear you on Borgard High School Baseball tomorrow. Absolutely. Looking Bro- forward to it. Brooks, thank you for being here. We'll hear you on Borgard High School Baseball tomorrow. Yep. And we thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the program. And we thank all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a very great evening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.